I don't know about you, but one of the things that I did not like, and rightly so, growing up, was being disciplined. There was a number of times that I was disciplined for things that I should have been disciplined for. There were a few times that my earthly parents uh, didn't catch me in what I should have been disciplined for. And there were a number of different ways that my dad disciplined me. I think that he enjoyed disciplining me sometimes. But what I really loathed was when he would ground me. I'd rather take the beating. Just, just go ahead and get it over with. Let's go to the woodshed. Bring out the leather belt and just have your way and, and move on. But I think he saw that uh, it really helped if I was grounded because I hated it. One instance, I don't even know what I did, but my favorite show, I was, I was young, this is going to date me a little bit, I was extremely young, I was probably 20, no, I, I was young, but my favorite show was the Dukes of Hazards. don't judge, but I love the Dukes of Hazards. And I did something wrong, and rightly so, I know that I did something wrong, and he said, all right, you're grounded. And I was like, please, let the grounding cease before Dukes of Hazard." And he was like, nope, goes all the way through. Why do I tell you introductory stories similar to the one that I just told you? We're about to see discipline take place in a letter. We're about to see discipline take place from the head of the church to his church, from Jesus to his bride. We are looking as an expectant church. We are expecting God to move. We are expecting him to shine forth. He has written seven letters to seven different churches in Asia Minor, a number of people have stated that those seven churches or those seven letters and those churches that they were written to are segments of time. I remember uh, sitting in class uh, listening to my professor and he talked about one of these churches that we're going to talk about today, we're going to look at today, the church of Pergamum or Pergamus. And uh, he stated that that was the church that just really needed to take a bath. The, the church that was living in the world that really needed to take a bath and yet did not or had not. Of the seven churches, as we saw last week as we looked at Smyrna, of the seven churches, two of the seven didn't have anything negative to say about them. We're going to look at two churches this morning, and I pray that I can do these verses and these letters justice as I put these two churches together, but we're going to see one church, the church of compromise, and a second church, the church of corruption, Pergamum and Thyatira. Follow along with me as I read the verses as we finish out chapter 2 of Revelation, the book of Revelation, 
And as I read, I want you to kind of be picturing and thinking about the church. I want you to think about how Jesus identifies himself to each church. Let's see some of the discipline. And also, some of the application for us today. Here's what God's Word states. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name. You didn't deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness. The Greek word there is martyr. So he died, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also, you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. We saw that a couple of weeks ago, even at Ephesus. Therefore, here's the discipline. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works, they exceed the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. Those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. Unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. 
And when earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Mm. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, two letters, Lord, that are hard. Father, they are hard to read. They are hard because of what is going on in the church. Your church, your bride, the body of believers that have bowed the knee to say that you are their Lord, their God, their Savior, their King, that find themselves compromising. Father, that find themselves in the midst of corruption. Father, they are harsh letters to your people. I pray this morning that they would be letters that we receive as individuals and we receive as a part of your bride, as River Bend Church, that we would repent if that is in our lives as individuals. And we would repent as a body if that is where we find ourselves. We would come back to you. Father, bring encouragement because you are the king over all creation. You are the one who brings peace in the midst of the storm. You are the one who wrote, even in judgment, there is mercy and mercy triumphs over judgment for your people. We long for the day that you will... Call us home that we will see you face to face and we will be like you. Father, would you do what only you can do this morning? You are the only one that can change a heart. You are the only one that can take stone, rock, hard, and melt. And make us again... Give us hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone. You are the only one who can change eternities. We ask that you would work this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Seven churches, seven different letters. As we continue our study of the expectant church, a vision for 2017 and beyond, and we are going to look through these seven churches. We are making our journey there. We are walking through these passages. And we're going to finish at the end of February. We will finish with an eighth church out of Acts chapter 13, the church at Antioch. So we see a church that sends out workers into the harvest. And we're trying to put the pieces together of what the church is who we are to be and what we are to be about. And we have seen a careless church with the church at Ephesus. Church that loved Jesus at first, but kind of got their 
mind sidetracked and their focus got off of him and they started doing all the ministry and he praised them for the ministry, but they forgot their focus, what was important. So we saw the church at Ephesus. Then we saw the persecuted church last week and we saw that in Smyrna. Oh, they were being persecuted. Yet they held fast, and he praised them for that. And now today we see a church that is in the midst of compromise, and we see a church in Thyatira that is filling up with corruption. If you were to look at these seven letters and you were to see them, it looks as if there is a descending aspect. They are descending down a staircase, but every now and then there is an uptick. Every now and then there is a reprise. Every now and then there is something good, and that's what we saw. There was Ephesus, and then we kind of take an uptick with Smyrna, and now we take a couple of steps down with that of Pergamum and Thyatira, and then we will... Take another uptick in a couple of weeks with Philadelphia as we make our way through these different letters. But this morning I want us to, to think about three points as we look at these two letters. The first point is this. As an expectant church, we see the church that compromises drifts. The church that compromises drifts. If you read that letter that Jesus wrote to his church, he states some good things, but then he states some harsh things for this church at Pergamon. First, he said, hey, I, I understand you. I, I, let me identify myself to the angel of the church in Pergamon. Write, these, write this. The words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. Every single letter he identifies himself, Jesus identifies himself with a pointed reason as he brings about the attribute or the characteristic that he wants that church to know. Every one of them were found in chapter 1, and we saw that a number of weeks ago. They are now described individually are together with each other as we see in Thyatira as the one who has eyes like flame and feet like burnished bronze. And we'll see that in just a moment. But here, this church that has found itself in compromise, Jesus says, hey, you need to remember who I am. And here is some identification. I am the one who has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. I told you a couple of weeks ago, if you look at that in chapter 1, all it is is showing us what's going to happen at the end. If you flip over to the end of the book, here is what happens. There in the valley of Megiddo, outside in, in Israel, there is a valley and it goes for some 15 or 20 miles. And there is going to be a huge battle where the armies of the, the world are going to form trying to take over Jerusalem and take over Israel and Jesus and all of his forces are going to be there along with the armies of the world and one thinks that all these weapons are going to be used and they are not going to be used there's just going to be a word spoken 
And coming out of the mouth of the Son of the living God, He will speak and He will slay the armies of the world with the word that comes from His mouth. And Jesus is reminding His church, you and me and the church at Pergamum, hey, the words of Him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell. Where did they dwell? Jesus describes it as where Satan's throne is. How would you like to be from that town? Where are you from? I'm from where Satan's throne is. That's a nice town, huh? Some 200,000 people were living in Pergamum at the time. Pergamum was a city that was on its way up. Pergamum was the city that first first city in all of the Roman Empire to build for themselves a temple to the living Caesar. They built a temple to the the Caesar who was on the throne in the Roman Empire at that time and they were bowing down and they were worshiping him. But that was not the only temple that was found there. There was a temple and a huge altar. Some state that it was 40, 50 feet across this altar to the Greek god Zeus. But that's not what they were known for. They were known for a different god. They were known for a different temple. I wouldn't want to go in this temple And I dare say that not many, if any, in this room would like to go to this temple, but there was a god by the name of Asclepius, and he was the god, the Greek god of healing, and they had a huge temple to him in Pergamon. He said, what made it so distinct? Well, 500, maybe even a thousand snakes crawling around every single day inside the temple and men and women, boys and girls would go into that temple to bow down and worship this God. It's where even with our medical profession today, there is a stick and a couple of snakes wrapped around it or a snake wrapped around it. That's where it comes from. This Greek God. And they were known for it. And maybe Jesus speaks and identifies Himself as the one who has the words of Him, who has a sharp two-edged sword. Maybe it's one of two reasons why He uses that identification. And maybe it's that Satan's throne all throughout Scripture is known as the great serpent and maybe that is why he calls it Satan's throne or maybe it's because they are the ones who built that temple to the Caesar of Rome and Jesus wants them to understand even in the midst of it folks even in the hard times even in the the times of persecution and the times where there is some orthopraxy some practice that is not going perfect not going right that you need to understand Yes, I know where exactly where you live. You live where Satan's throne is. They bow down to the emperor. 
And in Romans chapter 13, it speaks of this government, the Roman government, as one who doesn't wield the sword for anything. Yes, but there is one who has a sharp two-edged sword who is greater than even this place or this government. And he goes on. A church that's in the midst of compromise. He gives a great example of compromise. One that the Jews would definitely understand and those Christians as they read their Old Testament and they heard stories of the figures in the Old Testament. He said, yep, a few things I've got against you. Verse 14, some of you there hold to the teaching of Balaam. Who in the world is Balaam? You've got to go back to Numbers chapter 23. Let me tell you the story very quickly. Here's what happens in Numbers chapter 23. God goes to the prophet Balaam and says, don't go to Balak. Balak is a foreign king. He wants Balaam to come to him and curse Israel. God says to Balaam, don't go. Balaam's like, okay, I won't go. Balak comes back to Balaam. Get your bees right. Balaam, uh, Balak comes back to Balaam and says, all right, you won't come for $500? How about 1000 How about 1500 What's your price to come and curse Israel? And Balaam's like, uh, God, can I go? No, don't go. God, you know how much money he's offered me to go? All right, I won't curse him. Just let me go hear what he's got to say. The guy says, all right, go. Um, if God tells you that, don't do it. Go with his first word. Balaam gets on his donkey and goes toward Balak. And all the while, I'm sure that he is just adding up all those dollars in his mind. And all of a sudden, his donkey goes up against the side of the wall of the, of the trail, of the road. He beats the fire out of his donkey and says, what in the world are you doing? Gets back on track, keeps going, goes around the bend, donkey up against the side of the wall again. Who is the master and who is the beast? Third time, does it? God opens the mouth of the donkey. Hey, dummy, don't you see what's in front of me? I'm just trying to save your life. And God opens the eyes of Balaam, and there is an angel about ready to chop Balaam's head off. An illustration of compromise. Balaam wanted to be God's man. Balaam wanted to obey God, but Balaam also wanted all the things that this world had to offer, all the things of his world that they had to offer. And there were some of those in the church. The term some there. It's not a huge majority. No, there is a small minority that is there, but the majority was silent. That's the discipline. That's the harsh words. He's not even speaking necessarily to those who were, um, who were in the group that were teaching Balaam's things. He was talking to the whole church that was sitting out there, that majority that is sitting out there, that is listening to him, and they have kept their mouths closed. They were the ones that were compromised. They were the ones that were just letting things slide. They were the ones... Jesus is speaking to right here as he says, there are some there who hold the teaching of Balaam. 
who taught what Balak wanted to put a, he taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel and the compromise is this what have you placed in front of your lives what have you placed in your life what have you placed in your week that is allowing you to just stumble or allowing others to stumble around you what are you and I being silent about as we see brothers and sisters around us in their orthopraxy, in their practice on a daily basis, that we are just keeping our mouth shut when we should be saying, hey brother, hey sister, that is wrong. That is leading you away from what God has for you. That needs to stop. A church that compromises drifts. Peter wrote it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. He says, for the time that is past, it suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. For the time that, that you've already lived, six months, six years, 60 years, it's already enough for you that you've been living those way, that way in the world. Stop living in sensuality. Stop living in passions, in drunkenness, in orgies, in drinking parties, in lawless idolatry. Stop doing it because if you continue those compromises, you and I will drift. So we take a next step down that descending staircase from the church that compromises, it drifts, a compromise's end, or the consummation, the end of a compromise, it is corruption. And we go from the church at Pergamum to that of Thyatira. And there in that passage, the sum is growing larger and larger and larger. And now it is not just a small few, but it is a huge amount of the church. And as their teachings continue, their practice every single day is further and further away from the king. Side note. You know, one of the interesting things about this letter to the church at Thyatira? Thyatira is the smallest of the seven cities. It's the smallest of the seven cities by a large sum. And it is the longest letter that he wrote. Just to let you know, God does not care if it's a mega church or a small church. He doesn't care the size of church like you and I. We look and we say, man, that, that's a large church. Man, that's a, that's a church. They must have a ton of things going. He, he could care more, meaning he doesn't care at all that size. But he cares what happens in your heart and in my heart. He cares how you're living your life as an individual Sir, ma'am, he cares how we find ourselves as a collected body. And he writes to this small city a letter. And some might say it is a harsh letter. And then there are portions that are, but there is hope in this letter. 
But if you and I follow the steps of compromise, if you and I follow the steps of compromise and follow those stumbling blocks and we are tripped up, one compromise after another, whether it's in the physical life, in our financial, in our relationships with one another, in our relationships inside the home, in the business, ultimately in our relationships with our Father in heaven. Corruption occurs. Another great example in the Old Testament is that of Nehemiah. What did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah was a cupbearer of the king. All he did every single day was taste the food and the drink before his king there in a foreign land in captivity so that the king would not get poisoned. The king looked at Nehemiah. He drank something. All right, he's good. I can drink something. And Nehemiah heard the words of his brothers from Jerusalem. It is in ruins. The walls have been torn down. The people are perishing. And it change Nehemiah and he was commissioned by that pagan king to go back and rebuild the walls and he's there and he expects he fully expects church he fully expects on the outside Sanballat and Tobiah and others to come at him and they do you read Nehemiah they come and they come hard but that's not what hurt Nehemiah the most and that's not what hurts you and me the most when, when the onslaught comes from the outside, we expect it. But what's happening in Thyatira, what's happening, what's beginning to happen in Pergamon, what's happening more rapidly in Thyatira, and what I pray never happens here at River Bend is that the onslaught from the inside, it tore Nehemiah up. It made him made him stop for a second as he's up on top of the wall with one hand having a sword and the other hand having tools to fix the wall. It made him stop. It wasn't the onslaught from Sanballat and Tobiah and all the enemies on the outside. No, it was the folks that he was standing right beside who compromised on a daily basis who found themselves being led into corruption and teaching others to do the same. Compromises end is corruption. I know your works, verse 19 states. Your love, your faith, your servants, your, your, your service, your patient endurance, all those things are great, and that your latter works, they exceed the first, very similar to that of Ephesus. But here's what I have against you you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. What a name. We don't have many ladies named Jezebel these days. Here's why. Because she's one of those who calls herself a prophetess. She's teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. She's teaching and seducing my servants to eat food, sacrifice to idols. She is teaching and seducing my servants to go a different direction than I have for them. Just to be honest, there are not many, as I stated, ladies named Jezebel today by name. 
at what she was doing there in Thyatira continues to happen inside churches in Mississippi. Continues to happen in churches in America. Continues to happen in churches every single day. And God abhors it. God wants His people to understand it is absolutely wrong. It goes against everything that He has to say. Those who are tolerating sexual immorality. God puts parameters around that relationship, men. God puts parameters around that relationship, ladies. And He says, do not practice outside that parameter. Don't go there. Not because He wants to stop us from having what the world would say is fun, but He desires for us to have the very best. And here was a church who was tolerating this. Here is a church who was seeing this being played out every single day. They were tolerating it. They were being seduced by her, by the evil one. And he says that is corruption. And then he gives some application. And that's where I want us to end this morning. Third and final point this morning is this. There is hope and the hope comes with these words. Repentance really brings relief. When you and I repent, Jesus said, for those who repent, for those who come back to me, I'm not going to lay any other burden on you. Isn't that some relief? You don't have to do 10 or 12 steps of this, that, or the other. You don't have to follow and go here and there and yonder. No, here it is. If you come back to me, church, Sir, if you would just repent of that attitude, of those words, of those actions, if you would turn away from them and turn to me, Jesus says, I'm not going to lay any other burden on you. I'm not going to weight you down with all these different things. No, just find me. Just come back to me. The one who conquers, verse 29. One who conquers and keeps my works. To him, I will give authority over the nations. Back up to Pergamon. To those that don't compromise. To the one who conquers, I will give some hidden manna. I will give you some food. You will feast. Not just for this moment, not just for today, but you will feast for all eternity. I'll give him a white stone with a new name. Let me just ask you a question. Some of you are struggling. Some of you are being seduced by the things of this world. Some of us here have taken our eyes off of Him and we are looking at all the shiny, nice glitter that this world has to offer. And he says to you and he says to me, church, those that will come back, 
for those that will remain and hold fast until I come. I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you food and substance. I'm going to give you a white stone. And and a new name is written on that stone. Only us. Nobody knows the name except the one who receives it. God has given me authority. And I will give the morning star. Some of you think this world is just beating you down. And I mean, it is coming at you hard and fast. And and yes, it is. And yes, there are moments and there are title, there are times and there are, are parameters set by our Father that He allows the enemy, His enemy, to work. And maybe at this moment, He's got you in the crosshairs. Maybe at this moment, He has us as a church in the crosshairs. Maybe it's six weeks from now, or maybe it's six months from now, or maybe it It happened last year. But you think about this. The enemy desires to stop you and me and us from doing anything that our Father wants us to do. And in his arsenal, there might be some darts this size. There might be some darts this size. There might be some darts as the size of this room. And there might be some darts even bigger than that. And if he can get you and me with this size, he'll get us. If it takes that, he'll shoot that one too. And he'll shoot it straight at your face and he'll shoot it straight at my face. He'll come around the backside where you're not even expecting it. And that's where the fiery dart will come. All to stop you. Stop me. Stop us from doing what our Father desires. Jesus writes to the church and He has allowed you and He has allowed me to see the letter. So that some 2,000 years later, some 2,000 years later and two continents over, you and I wouldn't fall in the same rut that Pergamum fell in. That you and I wouldn't find ourselves in the same spot being led astray by the woman Jezebel that Thyatira was allowing in and amongst themselves and teaching and seducing its members. For the time has passed for you and me to follow the things of the Gentiles church. It's been enough. All those earthly pleasures that you thought added up to great substance, it's been enough, Brian. It's been enough, Riverbend, for us. Why don't we stop the drinking? Why don't we stop the sensuality, the passions, the lust? Why don't we stop? And taste 
that manna that he has for us. He didn't say that it was going to be easy. He didn't say that you were not going to be tempted because you and I are going to be tempted every single day. We're going to be tempted in numerous ways. But he did say he was right there with you. He did say that he would walk with you in the midst of it. I don't know your struggle. Some of you do, some of you don't. I don't know the pinpoint moment and the fight that is happening. But I know it's happening. And I know that for some of us in the room, we just sat back down. We said, I don't want in the fight. I just want back down. Don't put your crosshairs on me. I just, I want out of it. And as a son or a daughter of the king, you can't. You can't. There is a battle raging. So church, get in the fight. Draw close to him. And walk with him. Father, it's a hard letter. I can't imagine you sitting down and writing that letter as you look at men and women that you died for, Jesus. That you paid for every one of those sins, for every one of those compromises. Writing that letter. Putting pen to parchment there with every consonant and every vowel. Thinking about those Thank you for loving us that much that you desire for us to come back to you. Father, I pray for those in the room today. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for all the men, all the ladies, all the students. Father, it's so easy to cut this corner or to cut that corner. And Father, we find ourselves drifting away from you. God, would you draw us back? Sir, ma'am, we are about to uh, have a time of response, a time of invitation. The invitation is for you. God is calling you back to himself. Sir, maybe you've compromised this week. Maybe you've compromised this year. As almost a month has passed in 2017 and, and you haven't opened his word. This past week, it just got busy and all the responsibilities and all this, that, the other, a thing called life happened and you haven't picked up his word. You hadn't spent time with him and you find yourself drifting. Maybe you got your... W-2's in. You're thinking about compromising financially. He is calling you and he's calling me. He's calling us to draw close to him. Ma'am, maybe the compromise is with your emotions. 
your emotions towards your husband, your emotions toward others in the room or in your life. He is calling you to Himself. Don't step in the, any further in the compromise. Don't step any further in life in ways of corruption. Father, would you move? It is your turn. It is your time. It is your word. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You stand and join with us in our time of response.